Welcome to March, everybody, our first episode of March, and this week we are talking to Paul Engel. Paul and I grew up in upstate New York together about a mile or actually probably less from each other uh, during the 70s and the 80s, and uh, Paul serves in the military. He is one of the most inspiring individuals I have ever met. He did one tour of duty in uh, the Middle East in, in uh, 2004. He's been in the military since 1996. And in this episode, you'll hear of his next ventures. He uh, is an amazing man. Um, and uh, he quite literally uh, inspired me during this episode. And he did before that, but speaking to him and catching up with him was just quite amazing. And I have to tell you that if you are to listen to one episode of this podcast this year, this would be the one. Uh, we're going to hear his thoughts on the Ukraine situation, as well as the military life in general. So I wish Paul all of the success and health and happiness and safety uh, on his um, tour and his service. We thank him for that. And please stay tuned to listen to Paul Engel. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for doing this. I have, I was talking to my brother, Mike, who you might remember. Oh, of course. I run into him at the grocery store. And I okay. So he yeah. was just, he was just texting me and he's like, oh, he, that guy's just loving life. He like, he he's living the dream. And, and then he just wrote me as we were signing on. He goes, and, and he just wrote, he goes, and he's a Linton boy. <laughs> nice. That's it. That's so, it. you know, I was thinking today we were getting together and I was thinking like, what are the, first of all, first of all, you were a scrawny kid, man. I mean, I was a scrawny yeah. kid, but you were a scrawny kid. Yeah. I wouldn't say you're so scrawny anymore. I was, you know what it was? I was, I was prepubescent until I was almost 20. Yeah. Well, you know what? You looked like a man, California, like, you looked like a California surfer kid when you were little. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> looked like that with his blonde hair and he's, he's a twig, you know? Right. Right. But I, I gained a hundred pounds and grew three inches after high school. Is that true? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Wow. I remember going to your house with the pool and uh, yeah. just like that's we spent a lot of our summers there. Yeah. I remember you had that you had that 10 speed bike, but it was a five speed. It had the one lever. Yeah. The five gears on the one side. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was a hand me down from my cousin. And I was always like, no, it's a 10 speed. And people were like, no, no, it's a five speed. You were the first guy with the light that, that ran on the generator. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Wow. What a good memory. So. I, I, you know, I, I mean, for those of you that are listening that are, you know, um, you know, Paul, you, you've been in the military for, for many years now, yeah. right? Yeah. I joined up just for the free college in 96 and here we are. <laughs> wow. So I got to ask like, so 96, so what, so, and, and I'm, you know, 50 years older than you. So, um, so you joined pretty much right out of college, right out of high school. Well, I, I went to work. I, I tried the Hudson Valley thing and I went to work yep. full time um, so did I. at 19. So it was like I, I was doing that. I, I got into the Teamsters Union and then that yep. that work kind of dried up and I was on the layoff list. And I was like, well, shoot, what am I going to do? Right. So uh, it was uh, Pataki was the governor, I think, at the time. And he was yep. like, hey, you can go to SUNY for free if you join the National Guard. So I, I picked up the phone and the rest is history. Wow. And, and like the things you do that you post to Facebook, and I'm sure moreover, the things you do that you can't post or don't post. I mean, you know, you're flying what helicopters and yeah. you're going to places that I'm sure you can't even talk about, but I'm just like, it, it, it's, it's a whole different world for me, but it's a whole different world for most of the listeners here. And like, you know, what, do you, do you love it? Is it, I guess what I'm saying is like a lot of us go to our day jobs and come home and stuff like, you're, this is your, you know, your whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's something I totally love or else I would find something else to do. I yeah. mean, life's too short, you know, it's absolutely. Um, 
I, I, my, my family's the type of roll with the punches kind of family. My wife and them are like, Hey, just do what, do what you want to do. Yeah. I ended up on long Island. Um, I've been in the national guard part-time my whole career. And back in August, I, I had enough time in the teamsters union to, to draw a pension from them. So I retired. Um, wow. I can't collect it till I'm, I'm in my, you know, till I'm 62, but yeah, I, I needed a change of pace and uh, they needed a, a guy to run the uh, flight facility, the army aviation support facility down in, Ron Conkham on Long Island. So I took that job and um, went to school back in November to learn how to fly the uh, UH-60 Mike, the M model Blackhawk, which is like the new whiz-bang Blackhawk. So it's, uh, wow. it's exciting. Started out flying Hueys, which were like from the 60s from Vietnam yeah. in 2002, and then just kind of found my way here. So let me ask you a question. How do you, you know, and I'm going to be asking a lot of questions that are probably elementary to you. Right. Yeah. So how do you, did you, did you um, have an interest in flight? Is that something like that you went down that avenue? No, it's, um, I, you know, it's funny you bring that up because when I was in flight school, I always thought to myself, like, I shouldn't be here because there's some poor kid that's got a picture of a helicopter on the wall of his bedroom. Right. Find out when he's 20 years old, he's colorblind and they won't send him to flight school. Right. So I always kind of felt like, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, man, like I walked by a couple dudes and we used to wear the onesie flight suits like Top Gun back in the yeah. beginning. And I'm like, those guys probably meet a lot of girls. Uh, yeah. They could be in the infantry. So maybe I'll go try that. And <laughs> I didn't meet that many girls, but it was fun uh, le learning. You know, the Army does something very unique. And, and I'll just point that out compared yeah. to services. The Army will actually take an 18 year old kid out of flight school, teach him how to fly helicopters. Yeah. Um, in the Air Force, in the Navy, Marine Corps, you got to have a four year degree and you got to have an engineering background to even get considered. So, we turn Humvee drivers into pilots. They turn engineers into pilots. So it's a different um, mentality. I had a couple 19-year-old kids in my class, and I think I was 29 when I was in flight school. And I was like, my God, like, I belonged in handcuffs at 19. Like, and you're sitting here <laughs> right. and this stuff. You know, it was just blew my mind. Right. Um, so, so it's kind of a, a neat dynamic with the Army. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it, it's pretty cool. So know. was it like one day they're like, okay, you're going to start learning how to fly? I had to take a test, um, kind of like the entrance exam to even get in the military. It was yeah. at the time it was called the AFAST, the AFAST, Flight Aptitude Standardization Test. Um, and I had to score a certain level on that. And then uh, I had to apply, go get a physical. It's, it's basically like the same as like a class one uh, FAA physical that an airline pilot would get. Yeah. And then uh, I, I signed up for what was called a shortfall. You had to be in school but at that time by the time you were 30 and I, I was coming up on 29 or i was 28 at the time yeah and i said hey i'll take a shortfall and that just meant like if somebody drops out or you know across the country somebody breaks a leg and there's a there's, they'll start calling all the states in the guard and saying hey do you have anybody so i lived out of a cardboard box for a few months and then got a call and just went out the door so it was, uh, wow. I, didn't, I didn't want to wait for a slot and wait a year and all that. And was there a, no, was there a matter, a uh, number of hours you have to put in to be able to fly by yourself? Um, well, in the, in the military, we, in the army, in the helicopters, we don't fly by ourselves because the, uh, the aircraft are dual pilot aircraft. It's not okay. pilot and co-pilot. It's pilot yep. and command and pilot. Yeah. Just, you, you need four hands and, and two heads to, to fly these things. You right. can fly it alone, but you're not going to be able to maximize the combat effectiveness of the platform without your whole crew, including right. the, the folks in back. Got it. Uh, so it's a, it's a complicated aircraft. So are you, I mean, not now, but back then when you first started, were you just kind of like, okay, let's do that? Or let me say it a different way. If they told me to do it, I'd be like, okay, so I'm going to die. And, and so I, I mean, really? You know, it was something I, I, I took the test. You, you look at those guys and you think like, wow, like, yeah. How cool do you got to be to be able to do that? Or exactly. how, do you, how do you get to be picked for that? You know, you got to be six foot two and have muscles and, you know, you just think of all this stuff and it was just regular folks. Wait, like everybody are, are you six foot two and have muscles? Six one. I mean, I'm pushing 50. So the <laughs> muscles are going away, but it's right. Uh, right. So, so, so yeah. Okay. So keep going with that. So. Yeah, so, so it was one of those things where like all of a sudden you get there and you're at Fort Rucker, Alabama, and you've got, 12 to 18 months of this, depending on how many people are there and between different blocks of instruction, sometimes there's a, what they call a bubble where there's too many people and yeah. you got to wait for the next thing to start. So you're kind of on timeout. I got down there and I was like, holy crap. Like, I was like, I'm totally faking this. Like I, I've got a, a phony internet degree. Um, I was a truck driver all in my twenties out of the union. Yeah. Hall. 
I was an infantry guy. Like, you know, these guys are coming in from West Point and all these cool places, VMI and the Citadel and everything else. And I'm thinking, right. man, like, I was like, well, if I ever get a master's degree, I'll go to a real college. You know, that, like that's right, how right, I right. justified it. But, but it was like kind of drinking out of a fire hose. Like, like the, the information overload is just intense. And like, once you feel like you're getting something, yeah, boom, they push it through the door and you're off to the next thing. It's like, you don't even get a chance to revel in it or enjoy it. It's like, okay, you can fly this thing. Now you're going to instruments. Now you're going to be up in the clouds. You're going to be talking to air traffic control. Now you're going to go do, okay, oh, you're, you're, you're good enough at that. Okay, now you're getting your eval and you're going right into your uh, basic combat skills. You're going to be in the trees and doing yeah. all the tactical stuff and learning how the Army, you know, employs these aircraft. So it was, it was pretty yeah. great. So, so at this point, would you, at this point in your career, would you say it's pretty routine? Like you just get in and go up? Yeah, it's, it's routine. It's, um, we do a lot of, uh, of uh, training that, uh, it, it, I wouldn't call it refresher training, but it instills, yeah. uh, everything's very standardized. Like you could take me in a black, you could take me from New York, a Black Hawk helicopter from Texas and grab a guy from Minnesota and we could jump in that thing and we're going to talk a language that's yeah. standardized. We're yes. work together and we're going to be able to get the mission done without ever even meeting each other. So that that's so, part of the, the, the process. So a lot of the people that are listening and um, and uh, it's not live, so don't worry, but it is recorded and people will listen. No, no, you, you kind of take them through like, I mean, for you, it's a different experience now just because kind of you're used to it, I'm sure. Hmm. But like, what's it like for the first time? If, if, you know, what was it like for you to like go up in a Black Hawk helicopter? Well, when we start out, we're in what's called a, a, it's a company called Bell. They make a helicopter called the Jet Ranger. Um, yep. The army gives new names to everything. It's called a TH-67. So okay. you're in a civilian TH-67, like Channel 6 News type helicopter you've seen yep. and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I found out the hard way that the army helicopters didn't have air conditioning. So I got used to the air conditioning and that thing. But right. um, so it's a small helicopter and you're learning all the basic stuff. And what I really enjoyed about the way the army trains is that we had private contractors training us that were men and women in, and mostly men in their sixties and early seventies that flew in Vietnam that were our training. Oh, wow. Yeah. And maybe in the air force, again, I'm, I'm only making comparison. I'm not saying one's better than okay. the other. You'll have a 25 year old captain that, that did well in flight school. They, they kept around to learn how to be an instructor pilot, teaching brand new guys. Here's this guy with, with, with 9,000 hours that flew in Vietnam teaching me. So, so it was very, uh, they didn't really care if we broke the helicopter. They didn't care if we were going to crash or do something terrible because they, they, they were old. They had enough. They were like, you know what? <laughs> like my guy sat there. He's like, my dog died. My wife's sick. Like F you. Oh. And I'm trying to hover this thing. And it's like when you're on the rotor system, the helicopter dangles from like a pendulum and you're over controlling yes. the rotor. So you're, you're swinging back and forth and you're up in the air and the nose is turning left and right. And he's yeah. just sitting there with his arms crossed in the left seat, looking over at me like, good man kill us I, I don't care like you're going to either get this or we're going to crash and, and you're a nervous wreck and you're sweating and yeah so so the indoctrination there was no easing into it like our first day we took off he got us up to a thousand feet yeah he hands us the flight control hands me the flight controls my you're, there's two of us per instructor so one of my my partners in back yeah and i'm flying this thing and he just keeps saying over and over again he's got a little antenna that like extends and he's pointing yeah. to instruments on the thing and he's like He's pointing at the airspeed indicator and he's like 90 knots. He goes, then he points at the altitude indicator or altimeter. He goes thousand feet and he points to the trim ball, which points helps you keep the nose pointed almost like a boat might look yeah. cockeyed, but it's going another yeah. direction to keep the, the wind equal on both sides of the aircraft. And he's like, stay in trim. He just keeps pointing at those three things over and I'm up, I'm down, I'm over, I'm this, and I'm a nervous wreck and I'm stepping all over the pedals. And he just keeps saying 90 knots, thousand feet, stay in trim. 99,000 feet. Is there any fear in you at that point? You, you, you trust the, the instructor. I, I didn't have a lot of fear because I, I trusted that he would save us. Yeah. Even with all so so is it kind of like, is that kind of training like almost like some kids learn how to drive a car? Like there's two wheels, like he could drag, grab the control. Yeah. Yeah. He can. Yep. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely like one of those like driver's ed schools. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Controls on the other side. Um, and, and it, and it was, uh, it was, it was very like, they didn't sugarcoat anything. It was like, you're going to do this or you're going to go find something else to do. There was no, right. Um, like, it'll be okay, buddy. Like, we'll work on this again tomorrow. It's like, listen, man, you suck today. You better figure this out or you're going to find something else to do. And you're like, uh, you know, wow. Like, 
So it was, uh, but it, but it was at the end of the day, we got some real quality, quality, solid instruction. I, I, I almost thinking back, don't, I might've been a little bit afraid, but I was, I was, you're, you're so nervous and you want to perform well. Yeah. That, that you're kind of overwhelmed with that. So do you, not that you're the guy that's saying, I don't care what happens, but do you now train other people? No, I, I, uh, in my line of work, I'm in, I'm in supervision. So I'm, I'm a major about to be Lieutenant Colonel. Um, our, our grunt pilots are guys called warrant officers. Yep. And they, they fly for an entire career. Um, all they do is fly. They, they'll supervise different programs within their, their unit, like their brigade or their battalion. Yeah. They don't, they don't go command and they don't work on, uh, as staff officers they do but not not at the level that we do or the intensity that we do so like if i was if i was a warrant officer which i used to be one uh that's a different story but uh yeah warrant officer will, will pick a track after about two three years they'll either go into being a maintenance test pilot where they'll go up and fly helicopters that have just been fixed trying to replicate faults or make sure it's right. put back in the fleet there'll be standardization instructor pilots which are guys that make sure your pilots coming in, meet the standard. They give you your annual evaluations and uh, train the new guys coming through the door out of flight school. And then you'll have your safety officer, which is just like any old safety guy on a construction site or in a big company. They're just, they do safety stuff. I still can't figure out what the heck they do. And Got then you have your, your aviation maintenance or aviation mission survivability officer <clears throat> is the guy that manages all the uh, stuff that chases the missiles away and everything else when they try to shoot you down. Wow. So, so I promise I won't spend the whole interview speaking about the military, but you know, it, it so the 96, you join. Yep. Um, there's been a lot of action since 96 in the world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so I have to ask, like, night, I'm going to go like slow a little bit. Yep. Um, you know, were you, did you do, were you in service on 9 11? I, yeah, I was. I was. Um, I was in the infantry. I wasn't a pilot yet, so yeah. uh, I was working and out of an armory on 99 South Lake Avenue in Troy, New York. I was a second lieutenant. Yeah, first at 105th Infantry Battalion, which has since been disbanded. But we, uh, but yeah, 9/11 happened. My company commander was on vacation, and my executive officer lived in Burlington. So I actually went over to the armory, assumed command of the company, and uh, then started sending guys to New York City almost immediately. But it was. Uh, it was surreal because like I was working a job site. We were yeah. building the, uh, I was working for a company called Bechtel. We were building a, a cogeneration power plant down on the Hudson River in Athens near Kuksaki, New York. Yeah. And this guy, we we're waiting to unload this truck and this, this hillbilly that drives his truck, he lives in his truck. He's like, hey, check this out. I got the TV. I got this. I got that. Turns his TV on and bang, that second plane hits. Oh, wow. Holy crap. What the hell just happened? Like we thought we were watching a movie. Right. I left. I went and got my boss. I said, hey, look, I'm going to go because I know they're going to call us. This is crazy. So I left and I went and got dressed, went to the armory and we just started um, making things happen. And, you know, so were you were you were you did you serve that time up in upstate New York sending people? Yeah, yeah, I actually didn't go to New York City. Um, We were sending guys down and then they actually they had a unit units closer to the city and within Manhattan. And they said, hey, we got enough. So you guys just kind of stand down. We hung out for about a week. And then I went to the Joint Operations Center at the state headquarters in Latham. And I worked the night shift there. Um, so, know. Paul, the what you know, obviously, you have a lot of pride. And, you know, I'm sure all through your career, I know I've said it on Facebook, you've been like, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. What was what was the what was the. I don't even know what the, what, 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 were, what was the uh, not the culture, but the feeling in the military at that time. Well, there's there's two things that I can remember personally from. I mean, that's kind of like our JFK assassination. Too. Right. We're going to remember everything that was going on. Totally agree with you. Um, I remember I was living off of Lark Street. Um, I was living at 220 J Street under the steps. It was my first apartment alone I ever had in my life. And it was rocket. It's a little studio. It was, it was yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, I remember I went and got dressed and I left and I went to the little bodega store next door just to grab like a Gatorade. And the, and the, the Middle Eastern dude working in there was crying. And he, and he just keeps he just start, keeps telling me that he that he's an American and like like he was like all this all automatically defensive and feeling like dog shit you know what I mean and this adjustment yeah. you know and I and I say hey man I live I live next door if, if anything happens you know and you can't get a hold of the PD or whatever like like I, I don't roll like that you know what I mean this incredible. dude making a living he's, he's he's running a business he's trying to do the right thing for his family and he's automatically afraid and um, 
and then I remember I, I went to get gas and the lady was crying in the, in the, in the gas station. And she was like, it was like, I think it was over like the mobile near Curver ice cream. I don't know what the heck I was yeah. doing there on Central. Yeah. Island, but yeah, maybe I, I know Curver. I don't know. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bane of my existence. But I, uh, she was all upset and she heard that like all the bridges across the Hudson River were closed. And I was like, no, they're not closed. It was, matter of fact, I think I had come back from Troy already at that point. And she was like, I was like, no, I've been across the bridge. It's fine. So things were just kind of ramping up. But I remember like everybody was flying flags. Everybody had this, everybody had that. There's in the cars and all that. And then it all just kind of went away. I mean, you know, and then we got sucked into this nonsense for, you know, decades. But uh, right, right. You know, it was uh, it was an interesting day for sure, man. It was so know, as a as a result of that, were you either then or later, even years later, were you sent overseas? I went overseas in uh, 2004. Yeah. So uh, so we went to Operation Iraqi Freedom Three is what it was called at the time. Yeah. We, we went and released. And and, and uh, was Bush president then? He was, yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I was standing in the room in Kuwait when Rumsfeld said that when we were complaining about not having the right equipment and armor on our vehicles and all this other stuff, I was standing there when he said, "You you go to go to war with the army that you got, not the army that you want." And oh like, wow! Wow. Oh, okay. And uh, they give these little challenge coins out, like it's a it's a military tradition, like to have a little metal coin made with like your duty position like hey private you did a good job and yeah I remember rumsfeld's guys were handing out these coins and i looked at it and 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 look, and look i could say it now i wasn't a bush fan i wasn't a you know yep. I, I wasn't a fans of any of those people yeah and i said hey sir i, I said to the colonel I said sir and I, I said i'm good thank you and i handed the coin back to him and he looked like all disgusted and walked away and, and then they're going for like 500 bucks on ebay i should have took two right <laughs> you know what i mean but it was right. like what it is, you know. So how long were you over? You, where were you? Or can I, was you in, I was in the An, what was called Anbar province. I was in a place called uh, Spiker, um, FOB Spiker, Ford Operating Base Spiker. It was named after this guy, Scott Spiker, that disappeared MIA during a desert storm. So he here, here, here's, it's like, I can't not say this, is you and I live maybe two minutes away from each other. Yeah. In the neighborhood, and here you are overseas in a war. You're from upstate New York. Was a culture shock? No, because the, the military is a culture. You know what I mean? The, the, Got it. The, the shock. So, yeah, go was, ahead. Was long gone. The shock is boot camp. You know yeah. what I mean? The, the shock to me was like I had peers that had never listened to Irish music. And like my grandmother played Irish music growing up. Right. Um, the shock to me was teenagers that like country music. I thought that was only for old men. You, you know what I mean? Those, <laughs> those are the the shocks you get coming in from all around the world. Yeah. You know, and, and, and having to like eat that. that but crap. even then, but even then, I mean, you're, you're, you're a cool dude, but like, you know, you're in the desert in the middle yeah. East. I mean, there's nothing that you're like, this is different. Oh yeah. I mean, of course it, it's, uh, you're, it, it's, it's not a, it's not a happy time or a happy. No, time. right. Right. Um, you know, you, you, the army transitions you, they, they, they bring you to like this pre-mobilization training where they like kick your butt with all this academics and, and, and physical training and, and firing ranges, everything else to get to reinstill the basics in you. Then they send you out the door and then we're in Kuwait and then we're hanging out in Kuwait, going through training, waiting to go across the wire into Iraq. And it's like, they make all that so freaking miserable. By the time you actually get into the combat zone and like, you know, you're going to be in one spot for a few yeah. months. You're like, Hey, yeah. this is cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. You your yeah. battle rhythm and you get things moving and you, you figure it, out how you're going to operate. Was um, it hot as hell? Uh, yeah, it was 120 some odd degrees in, in oh. uh, this place called um, uh, AJ, Eric John. Uh, and, and it was awful down in Kuwait. Kuwait's real hot. Iraq was a little cooler, but it was. So did you, so did you interact with the people there? Not so much. Um, back during that time, it was, uh, we had the forward operating bases, which these little, contained areas that were scattered around the country um, as pilots. We flew from, from fob to fob to fob, and we did a lot yep. of uh, glorified Uber driver type missions, but we did do some air assaults and bring the infantry in. Um, you know, we did see some combat, but it was, uh, I was a headquarters company commander for a brigade at the time. So I was, I was on flight status because I was, I was the older guys at a brigade level, they weren't flying too much, but I was still a younger guy. And I was flying with a battalion out of California. I was part of their regular battle rhythm. So I was flying with those guys quite a bit. Um, How long were you over there? Um, I was in country for 13 months and the whole wow. deployment was 19 with the lead up at Fort Dix, New Jersey, going out the door. Now they're shorter. Now they're three months 
of um, of premob and then nine months downrange. I'm actually leaving again in June. So, You're leaving in June for where? Yeah, I'm leaving in June for a year. Yeah. For, yeah, we're going we're going to Middle East again as it stands right now, but um, we're going to work for the uh, CENTCOM area of operations. But I, I have a sneaking suspicion that we may end up in Europe, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, because so yeah. far it's it's full steam ahead on you know yeah last week's news. So so when you were as you say in country back in you said two thousand four. Yeah, we went right. in uh, uh, November October November of four. And we came back in November the following year. Were you, did you already meet your wife by that time? No, I met my wife um, on the internet about 11 years ago. Yeah. So is, are, are you, is she staying behind this time? Yeah. Oh yeah. They, yeah, they stay, they don't go. They it, it, it's funny because like you, you bring that up because I remember going out the door the first time I'm like under a tree, just looking at a Maxim magazine, just like watching guys hugging and kissing their kids and wives and everything. And I'm just like, man, let's get the hell out of here. I'm tired. You know what I mean? But it was right. Now that I got, you know, my stepdaughters and my son and my dog, yep. my wife, it's a different story. Yeah. But, um, and, and so, and um, so how do you prepare for that yourself? How do you prepare for that? How does your family prepare for that? Um, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of support within the national guard as far as um, spouses, you know, family. Yeah, yeah. Family support. We have the family readiness group, which is like stood up by the unit. It's, it's composed of uh, spouses and yeah. organizations. They, they help you out with um, making sure that like, you know, there's childcare programs and, and, and activity programs for your kids that, that, yeah. are, that you don't have to pay for. There's um, for, for some of the younger privates and stuff, there's, there's financial uh, counseling for, for like young spouses or people that are left behind, even the younger kids, you know, they, they, their parents are our age, you know what I mean? So right. help them out and stuff like that. So, so there's a huge network and, that, and that's built in, you, you know, about a year and a half out before you're actually going to go. Oh, well, that's good. With us, it was a little different. We found out on Thanksgiving we were going. But oh, was, really? Really? Okay. Yeah, they, they, the, the guys that were relieving were going to be a much bigger presence for some reason. They haven't really explained yeah. that. But. And, and do, does technology help keep in touch? You know what? The first time you had to like wait in line at this little like right. internet cafe. I'm you sure. Had, you had the prepaid phone cards and had these, yep. these, these VoIP phones you could use. And, and, and so at that time, were you, what were you doing? Were you calling your, your family or? Um, little of both. I was calling my family and I used to call the payphone at my favorite bar and, and bus chops. Oh, there. there you go. But there I, you know, like I said, I was 29, 30, you know? Yeah. So, right. Yeah. So, so like, for, it's like, and you know, this is going to show my ignorance, but can you just, are you allowed to just like bring a cell phone with you? Yeah. Um, we're, what we're going to, they're going to be managed though. There's, there's yeah, be, sure. The, the biggest fear with the phones and the communication is, for somebody, God forbid, gets killed, and before the chaplain can go to the, the family, they 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 read about it on Facebook or they get a call from somebody. Right. So I see. I see. So you got it. So like like back in, in in my day, like they had they had this really weak internet that they would just they would just flip a switch and shut it off whenever there was an incident, so nobody could communicate outside. And then you know, oh okay, they flip it back on when it's when like it, a jam like a jamming type of thing. It's just like a like turn the router on and off. Oh, I, I see. Crazy. I see. Yeah. Got it. Got now it. That we got these phones and the and the international SIM cards and all that. Right. Uh, you know, WhatsApp is is actually uh, encrypted, so we can use WhatsApp for for um, uh, for for official communication and stuff like that. I mean, that we wouldn't communicate classified information with it, but but it's a uh, it's a pretty solid infrastructure. And so for for the when you're over there, you're saying that there's a there's a culture where the families stay in touch with each other type of thing. Yeah, yeah. That that's what's encouraged, and they try to get people to, to stay involved with the uh, family readiness group. It's like anything. It's like you could, you could join a gym and not show up and work out or you could. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. I'm known to do that. So yeah, like a labor union, you know, you could be pay your union dues and not do anything or show up or participate, or you can get involved and, and try to make a difference. So right. And then you touched on the fact, so you're right now you're going to the middle East, you're thinking it might be Europe. Are you, are you, are you not that you, you know, I'm not saying you know anything or anything, but are you, you're thinking, I, I'm guessing with the Ukraine, Russia thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're I'm thinking just, that that might turn into you having to steer a different direction. Right. I wouldn't be surprised. And this is just my opinion. There's no, this isn't based on any kind of fact sure. information. It's like, my opinion would be like, I, depending on the CENTCOM mission, which is where we're going and their operational tempo, 
that since we're already going out the door and we're, we're prepping our equipment and getting everything ready to, to send us to Germany wouldn't wouldn't be a surprise to me i guess is what i'm saying so if they if they sent us to germany believe it or not i i think the living conditions in in kuwait because we're going to be going north into these other countries i don't want to really get into yeah on but like kuwait is the hangout and and there's a lot of good infrastructure there so germany you're going to be hanging out in some warehouse somewhere sleeping on the floor kind of you know because nothing's established yet got it oh i see i see so I really see. like if I just want to be a, a lazy old guy, I'd rather just go to Kuwait and do the mission we, we're getting ready for and right Europe, you know, let them sort it out a different way. But we'll see what happens. So what happens if so, you know, everybody has their own personal politics, of course. Oh, sure. And like you mentioned that, you know, you're not necessarily a wasn't necessarily a Bush fan or whatever. Not but really. what happened? What happens when you ha, um, have a president or a commander in chief um, that you're not really into, but you're serving under well you, you have to follow any lawful orders you know what i mean um, yeah and in that the key word being lawful there, there's uh if somebody tells me to burn the village i don't have to burn the village you, right. you know what i mean so um you, you have to have faith in in the in the uh in the gocom and in, in, the, in the uh the, the the commanders at the four star and three star level yeah they'll be able to to run the the military and and uh you, you know there, there's things that you may not agree with where you're going or why you're going. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to go to Iraq. I thought it was a joke. I thought that the fight was in Afghanistan. I thought it was ridiculous that we went after Saddam Hussein. Yeah. He's a bad guy. Yeah. But I mean, right. The analogy I used and it's, and it's a strong analogy and I, I don't want anybody to read too deep into it, but I used to say to my friends locally, I could drive, I could walk down, you know, a really bad neighborhood in Schenectady, Albany, Troy, and just start shooting at people. And I guarantee I'm going to hit a couple of bad guys, but it doesn't make it right. Right. You know, Saddam was a bad guy, but we, we had a, we had a, a real legitimate threat in Afghanistan that we, we kind of put on time out because this guy wanted to show off for his father. That was, that was my opinion, but. Right. I'll right. Yeah. So, so did our job you know? is the military or in the military, is it sort of divorced from politics, meaning whoever's in charge, you're like, okay, like I love Obama. I don't love Trump or I love Trump. I don't love Obama or. I, I find here's how I, I find it. The majority of the, uh, I don't even like using the word conservative because I think it's been, yeah. but the majority of my colleagues are conservative. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll seem to think that it's okay to, to talk about those political feelings, but then if someone else's political feelings, or, I mean, screw it. I'll say if my political feelings come into play, it's all of a sudden like, Oh, you know, you know, it's no good. So my, my policy with, with my soldiers and my people is, and again, it doesn't really get crazy. And we've all been right. together in my unit for a long time. We respect each other. The national guard is different from the regular army. We grow up together. We, we make rank together. There's no, Right. Like, oh, you're you're going to be Jeff. You're going to be a captain next week, and you're moving to Hawaii to take command of some company in the 25th ID. You're just going to stay in their state and with your people. So yeah, got it. Um. So so I I just I just try to tell them like you know, politics and religion. Just leave leave it at home. Not when we're wearing the costume. You know, just just. Uh, so yeah. I'm going to pivot for a second. Are you still? Do you still own your bar? Um. It's we're in the middle of selling it. Um. The yep. guy that's buying it from us is is running it 100 on his own right now. Yep. taking a back seat and um that should be cleaned up when he gets his liquor license in the next few weeks so right my dogs are uh, chiming in i got they one i got one looking at me too <laughs> <laughs> um so so how long did you own the bar for uh we got it uh 12 years ago so it was 2009 right. when we started yeah how was that just kind of owning a bar it was fun it, it was like a it, it's not it's not the, the the money printer that people think it is there's a right. lot of uh, it's just difficult if you're not a lot there. of upkeep, a lot of, yeah, if you're not there every day, people take from you and there's no malicious intent. It's just, right. you're not there. The drinks are stiffer. There's more free drinks bouncing around. People have sure. a good time. And I enjoyed seeing people enjoy themselves. I mean, yeah, I, was, I know you did. It was like my, my man cave, you know, it's yep. like a quarter mile from my house. I'd go down there and get in trouble. The wife would get mad and I'd come home, you know, it was right. But it was, um, that bar was around, it was a speakeasy. It was around since 1933. Um, it's always been a bar. We were the seventh owners. We found a lot of cool knickknacks and, 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 and relics in there when we were renovating the place. So it was, it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. 
That's fantastic. But it's also nice to me. It's kind of like owning a boat, right? Like you enjoy it, but there's a lot of upkeep and now it's, it's yeah. good. To... I'm, I'm very happy to see it go. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no regrets. And the, and the guy that's buying, it's going to keep it the same way and he's going to make it even better. He's a, he's a veteran. He was, uh, he worked for us for oh, seven that's great. years. So did you have a lot of old friends stopping down there? Oh yeah. Yeah. We did a few. We did when we, our 20th high school reunion, we had a, the night before I had everybody down and right. I remember and, that. I and all remember these moms, that. these moms were like up till two in the morning and I'm like <laughs> I'm falling asleep. I just want to get the hell out of there. And they're all like, woohoo, they're drinking. Right. I'm like, oh my God. So, so tell me, so you met, you met your wife on the internet. You said about 11 years ago. I I did. It's a, it's an, it's an interesting, it's a funny story. So you gotta let me tell it. So, so I, I went on the, the match.com. Right. So, and I was looking around in Albany and I did like a free weekend. Like, I'm like, okay, I put a little thing in my phone to remind me to cancel it before I have to pay for it. So I did the free weekend and I'm bouncing around and and I'm going, I'm like, geez, these are the women I'm meeting out. And they're, and they're lying about themselves. I'm like, so this is crazy. So it's not really right. a thing. So, so I did it. I ignored it for a day. And then the little alarm went off to cancel it. I, it was like a Sunday or something. I said, oh, geez, I better yeah. cancel it. And then I went into the advanced search and I started typing in like the word snowboarding and punk rock had to be in the profile and like all this other stuff. And like I did a thousand mile radius instead of like a 20 mile. Yeah, radius. you opened it up. And then I get three three or four that hit and one had a photo it was my wife and I was like wow she's super cute so I'm looking at her profile and I was like oh boy I said she's got children I said but you know what I got to stop being hung up on that because I'm getting old and that's part of life people have kids so I said all right I said so I said I'll accept that because she likes to snowboard and and she's a punk rocker and and she had her little dead Kennedy's t-shirt on her little denim skirt I'm like wow she's cute all right so um but she wasn't active. It said, it was like, you can tell her, it says like, hasn't been active in 30 days or something. So I clicked the X to shut the window down yeah. and, it, and something caught my eye. So I fired it back up and I found her profile again. And there was like this riddle. There was like this code embedded in her, in her profile. Yeah. Put your email in, they, they censor it and, and, and kill it on you because they want you to pay to communicate. Right. So I deciphered this thing and it ended up being her email. So she emailed me back. She's like, wow, you're a smart one. I was like, yeah, allegedly. So uh, (laughs) we met up, she was living in Jersey and the rest is history. So it was kind of a funny sort of one in a hundred million chance, but. uh, That's crazy. It was like at the, at the end of the, the trial. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't want to pay for it either. I just kind of threw that in there, but nobody figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Oh, here's uh, Katie. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Joining us. So, so um, hi, Katie. This is Paul. (laughs) so rude no so paul's paul we've been catching up with paul paul um has served in the military since 2000 no since 1996 yeah 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 and um you know all your stories so far tonight paul make me feel like i haven't done much with my life dude come on it's <laughs> the peace, the piece of just knowing what the next day brings is something I envy a lot of times because there's always there's always that like I'm in the commander general staff college right now. So like I'm doing like online college at night and trying to deal with their nonsense. And I'm gonna have right. that with me when I go out the door in June and keep working on that. And it's just it's just a never-ending educational sure. I just want I want to like rest you know what i mean so when you when you so so paul's um going um what i want to use the right term so i can be cool you're going in country in june yeah yeah yep we're gonna okay. we're gonna hit we're gonna hit the the pre site down in texas and then we'll be out the door probably 10 12 weeks after that so but we're leaving we're leaving wow. home in june yeah to, to the middle east yeah we'll, we'll end up in the middle east uh at end of the summer early fall right i'm saying that so katie knows what we've been talking about yeah thanks for catching me up i'm sorry yeah. no 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 and the, and so paul here's my question like you're you're there you're on a mission obviously mm-hmm. i know this is going to sound strange but like what do you do for fun there or can you do like things there's, there's a lot of like i said there's a lot of infrastructure there like there's um like if you like the main the uh the biggest footprint if you will of people is in kuwait and then we have these outlying sites right now in different countries. Um, so there's like, there's a movie theater that they built. There's uh, oh, really, there's like places to hang out. There's no booze, which you know what? That's fine. Right. I don't mind yeah. taking a break for a year. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, there's gyms all over the place. There's uh, 
Yeah, I like to run a lot. So like I'm running, you know, I'll be running around. I just gotta be careful early in the morning because the snakes come out on the blacktop to stay warm at night. Oh my gosh. Yeah, right. it's a, well, the horned viper. Oh, so you're really going into alcohol detox. You're getting rid of your bar that you own. Yeah, it's crazy. and and you're and you're going to a country that does all that. You know, I don't want to. You know, right, <laughs> right. So I was, I'm well prepared for the interview. Yeah, yeah, I see that. So, so that's wonderful. <laughs> Sammy, no, I know. So, um, Katie, do you want to jump in and ask anything? Well, I I don't know what I missed, and I, I I'm sorry, yeah, but. Please going over there how many tours um, if you already covered this i'm sorry have you done i had one long tour in 0405 okay so i've been i've been in what they call dwell for a while now so it's like 17 years or something so so yeah. what paul was saying is you know that's where he's slated to go but with the things that are happening lately he thinks sure. he's going to europe instead yeah i wouldn't be surprised i guess i, I don't want to say i think we're going to europe because i don't want to get like the, the rumor right. going but um, right I just, I just, it wouldn't surprise me if we ended up in, in, in you go being, wherever you're told. Yeah, yeah. I'm being careful. There's a lot of lead up. There's a lot of prep into that. So it's sure. not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So right now we're focused on CENTCOM, uh, US what, Central. What Net. is CENTCOM? It's a, it's a, it's like, it's Egypt across the Middle East. Um, uh, I should know the entire area of operations, but it's right. that, yeah. that whole area. You know, oh, you know what I was going to part The only part of, uh, Africa, part of Africa that's not in Africom is Egypt. So, so you know what I was going to ask you? How how has COVID affected your service, or how does COVID affect you going over there? Even um, hopefully it doesn't, um, because if it does, it just makes things more difficult. Um, yeah. We're we're technically still masking in Department of Defense facilities, yeah. so I expect that to be lifted. You know, by the end of the week or next week. Um, right. It, it, it may. It makes your ability to like move around and go to gyms and do sure. all that stuff that you need to stay sane. Changes everything. Yeah. So just kind of. You know, what's really interesting is, is my cousin's son, which now it's, it's the next generation, right? So he, um, he joined the army uh, in 2019 and went to boot camp in 2020. And so he was in, he was starting his service during the hit of COVID. Yeah. And I remember uh, right. 2019. I remember everybody being concerned because he couldn't communicate. And once he was able to communicate, his communication with us was we had no idea what was going on. Right. The, the level of information we had was people are dropping dead. Mm -hmm. We don't know where we're going. We don't know if we're going to China. We don't know if we're going, you know, to the Middle East. We don't know what's happening. And all we're getting is the information they're giving to us, which is you know, high level intelligence, mm -hmm. um, very cautionary. So he, you know, I, I just, that those, those conversations were scary and he, right, you know, right. a 20 year old kid at the time, yeah. you know, kid, I'm sure he wouldn't appreciate that, but you know, that had to be scary now coming out of it and, and he's in a different capacity. Um, it's just interesting, you know, thinking of our military, my heart goes out to people at all ranks and at, at all, at all levels, because there's just this level of expectation and pressure and although welcome and, and we appreciate your service and people are, you know, giving of themselves to be in those positions. Mm. It's a lot. And in this day and age, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of extra, right. And, and yeah. not that there hasn't always been, but now with COVID and, you know, the impending war, whatever's happening right now between Russia and Ukraine and how our interactions going to be as the U.S., there's a lot of unknowns. And I know that that's always been the case. There's always unknowns, but it's, there's a lot going on and, and there's a lot to process. And so I just, I, I always bring it back to him and thinking, gosh, there's these kids, right? Or proverbial kids. Oh, sure. That are, are serving our country and protecting our freedoms. And, and they're giving a level of service that a lot of us can't even wrap our heads around. Yeah. That's right? the thing. Yeah. That's the thing is tonight, as I've been talking to you, I'm like, I, I'm getting what you're saying, but it's so much more like I know I'm going to listen to this and be like, oh, it, wow. I mean, you're yeah. you're doing it, man. And, and it's it's a lot to take in for somebody just to hear. But you're actually doing it. So, like, how do you how do you what do you do to just stay? level um well my my hobby is doing triathlons doing um, what doing triathlons oh wow so that's kind of like 
like that type of training kind of keeps me from. Yeah. I mean, I got to tell you, you're inspiring me. I'm thinking like yeah. my hobbies is taking the, the empty Ben and Jerry <laughs> down to the kitchen that has been up here on my shelf for three days. Yeah. Hey, so listen, like man. I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> listen, you've got, it's, as long as it's something, man, it's better. You're not stuck to the couch. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not yeah. stuck to the couch yet. You know, that's like my 600 pound life. I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> um, so so, um, I, you know, I've been careful. I've been trying to be careful, like asking certain questions because I don't know like what you can share and what you can't oh, share. Sure. Yeah. And if I can't, I'll just tell you. Okay. So, so, so here's my question is if you can, what's your take on, like, what do you Paul Engel feel about what's going on with Russia right now? Well, my Paul Engel opinion is that, uh, that's their bullies. Um, Putin has always been, uh, in my opinion, wanting to put some sort of Soviet Union back together. He's, yep. he's offended that these countries exist. He's said in the past that Ukraine shouldn't exist as a country. Right. Um, you know, the capital of the Rus back in the 1200s was was Kiev. You know what I mean? So yep. it was that ancestral claim to the homeland type of thing. Um, what I'm afraid of is that if we lay down and allow this to happen, and I, I say we, I mean NATO and Europe and the free world, <laughs> that you're going to see Latvia and Lithuania fall the same way. And uh, you're going to see China try to grab Taiwan. And it's, it's and that'll just be a whole different world of, of garbage at that point, because if they post up on, on Poland's doorstep, I think they're going to be in for a big fight. But that would be the next move after they take Latvia and Lithuania. So um, do you so you I'm sure you heard that Putin put his nuclear arsenal on high alert. Yeah, but you know what though, all that that that's uh, that that that's media hype. All that means a lot is of that flexing. Is it a lot of flexing? It just means that like instead of working like five days a week, eight hours a day, those those people in that office are working like six twelves. That's that's really all it means. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that's heightened alert. You know, and yeah. just a little red toggle switch cover open or something, and they're gonna be like, ooh, look here we are. Yeah. But it's so. Uh, we're put on their annual training for the year like a lot a lot of those guys are conscripts like we do our annual training then we do our one weekend a month and, and some additional stuff to get um as a layman and, and common citizen like for 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 me and jeff i don't know if you feel this way but listening to the state of the union and and kind of you know following this pretty closely in media it seems like there's just so much pressure from around the world not only nato but you know Right. From the powers that be that, that, right. that this yeah. isn't going to get very far. I mean, that's the way it feels. I don't know if that's just media hype and, and Putin's going to push beyond I mean, what we expect. But I mean, what do you think? They're going to run out of beans, bullets and fuel before, yeah. they, uh, before they can conquer that area without support from China, North Korea. And right. yeah. Well, I was even hearing that their their own troops are sabotaging and that's oh, what I was yeah. these these yeah. guys are put on their like these reservists like they come out and they do their their two or three weeks or four weeks once a year right they're not, they're not like us where we, we're going every month and i'm a couple mm -hmm. nights a week and stuff like that so these guys are put on their annual training and then they're like oh by the way we're, we're invading ukraine and they're like what are you talking about like what do you mean we're invading ukraine like i don't want to invade ukraine like my cousin right. elroy lives in ukraine you know yeah. what I mean? like, nope right. that's you get your shit we're going and it's like whoa time out so the, the motivation is not there. You know what I mean? And then you look at the Ukrainian motivation and they're like, come down my block, mf -er. You know what I mean? Right. And they're standing there with their AK-47, like, bring it. So it's it's a, it's very hard to motivate people to do something they don't believe in. It'd be like, see, be like Jeff, the, the, uh, the, the pizza in Kingston, Ontario is awesome, man. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're just going to invade Canada and start shooting right. people so we can take their pizza, you know? And it's like, yeah, you thank, you, thank you for putting it in a perspective that I could understand. <laughs> the pizza perspective. The pizza perspective. <laughs> like now he gets it. Now Jeff gets it. Um, so <laughs> before, before we wrap up, I just have two questions for you. One sure. is um, who would you say are the three most influential people in your life? In my life? Like you're talking like from day I, one. I have been or are. I would say, my dad, um, great, great man. You know what I mean. If you remember Ken Neff from high school, sure. Yep, Ken. Ken wow. was like a like a second father to me growing up, and very coach, nice mentor, guy. teacher, very good guy. Uh, to this day, I could I could run into him and pick like kind of like we're doing. I could run into him, pick Just up where we left off, yeah. and it's like the time didn't even go by. Yeah, um, I'd say I'd say those two, and <clears throat> um, 
and probably uh, on the military side, um, there's a one-star general named Jack James. Um, he's our assistant division commander for operations right now at the 42nd Infantry Division in Troy. And he was an aviator um, and always kind of mentored me come, coming up the ranks and stuff. He was always a good guy. That's awesome. And lastly, what, uh, what do you want to be remembered for? Uh, I want to be remembered for, um, for uh, kind of like, boy, that's a tough question, man. I, I like to be remembered for the, the guy that that was flawed, but tried to do it right. You know what I mean? For sure. We're all, we're all flawed. You know? I got to be honest with you. This, this, this hour went soup, probably the fastest interview I've ever yeah, right. It's crazy. And, and I, I would love, I, and I'm sure Katie would love to talk to you again. Yeah, maybe, absolutely. Maybe, man. maybe before you go, maybe before sure, you go. Sure. Um, and I, I, I just, I, you know, I, I, I've said it to you before on Facebook and I just want to say it and it, it, I hope it doesn't sound cliche. Like really thank you for your service. I like, appreciate that, man. Like I, I really do because it's uh, I, like, I, you know, like I said, I knew the California surfer kid with the pool and uh, now you're, you know, it's just, um, you know, you're just an inspiration. You're an inspiration to me, man. I appreciate that, brother. That that goes a long way. And, and, uh, and, you know, and, 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 and I, I like, I, I don't think the, the, the ultra conservatives can corner the market on patriotism. You know what I mean? And, and, and the fact that we're having these conversations is, uh, is a big deal. You know, we're, you know, I, I tell my daughter all the time, who's, who's, uh, you remember, you remember, um, uh, uh, Brett, uh, from high school, she's probably class 89. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, blonde hair, Brett, uh, the hell was her, her maiden name. Anyway, her daughter's good friends with my stepdaughter and, and, I, and, and they're, and they're very, 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 very liberal. And I say, look, I go, you can still love your country and, and be as liberal as a day as long. Don't, yeah. don't, don't allow people to hijack your patriotism over politics. You know Absolutely. I mean? well, um, thank so, you. I, so I appreciate you saying that. And, and it's a big deal. It really is. And I, 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 I appreciate that. Man. 